Welcome back to another episode of the Sermon Recap Podcast. This week, against the most deeply held wishes of Satan, we solve the problem of evil. I'm joking, of course, but we do talk about the issue. We also address Josh's pastoral impulses in his sermon and his experience with the text this week. Also look out for an appearance from a DJ air horn and some impromptu college football punditry. Now, on to the podcast. Welcome back to the Sermon Recap Podcast. This I dude. can't believe you did that. Th- that man was holding his phone over here for like 30 seconds, and I was like, I don't know what he's about to do, but he's about to do something. You've been waiting five weeks or however long we've been doing no, this podcast just, to do that. that oh I was just right off the cuff. Is that Definitely. a la the radio, show, the radio show from Parks and Rec? How lame would I have to be to plan that? So, <laughs> and yet anyway. you did. Crazy, Ira. <laughs> that's what. Uh, that's that's my aspiration with hosting this deal. Is uh, I want to be able to have the board you know, at the end, have like an iPad with all the different sound effects and um, do all that. So, well, I just appreciate that you planned it. Everything we do here is by design, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we're of the utmost care here. So, anyway, uh, I am. Uh, Avery Thorne, pastor of Emily Discipleship. I'm here with Matthew, our lead pastor, and Josh, our pastor of worship and community. Uh, Josh preached uh, Genesis 3 for us, at least the beginning half of that, through the temptation and fall of man. Uh, So we're sitting down with him to ask him a few questions about this Sunday. So Josh, uh, I'll I'll start you out with this, just a little bit more of a, you know, personal question about your experience in preaching this passage. Um, We've preached uh, really only positive things so far, things uh, like God's creation, um, and everything has been, you know, good, very good, as the scripture says so far. And here, um, something goes wrong and sin enters. So I'm wondering, how did it feel this week to preach the first negative passage uh, that we have through this series in Genesis? Hmm. Well, just as this episode in Genesis was by God's design, and we'll get into that a little bit in a little bit, I I think me preaching this text was by Matthew's design. Uh, Maybe I was getting a little too full of myself, you know, maybe, uh, maybe he thought that I needed the week that I had in spending all that time in this text, Uh, so I think it was by, it was by design that I wind up wound up with this text. What say you, Matthew? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a passage on sin. I couldn't think of a better person to talk about <laughs> sin than you, my man. Well, I, I guess I can't disagree with you there. Uh, I, am, I am the utmost, the chief of sinners, I should say. Um, no, I, my experience in, in this text was um, difficult because it was seven verses uh, that detail what... Um, you know, I sort of laid out on Sunday as the darkest day in the history of the world. And so, you know, it would, it would have been wrong for me to spend time in this text, I think, um, sort of at a distance. And so I really prayed as I began to prepare uh, and, and throughout the week continued to pray that the Lord would sort of do a number on me, so to speak as I prepared with this text, and he certainly did. You know, I, uh, 
I spent plenty of time over this uh, past week, you know, thinking about how I am tempted and often give in to the, the temptation of the evil one, uh, how I fall victim, you know, really, that's probably the wrong word, but how I, you know, give in to the same devices that uh, he used in the garden. And so, um, yeah, it was sanctifying for me to spend time there, not only there, obviously, being renewed in the sense of hope that we can have in Christ and that he's overcome Satan, sin, and death. And so my hope was to bring that into the sermon, you know, that struggle that we all have, but ultimately, uh, you know, how that struggle does give way to the light and the hope of a gospel. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So uh, I guess you could say that Matthew was the architect of your depression this week then. He was, he was, and yet I've forgiven him already 70 times 7. Well, uh, speaking of depressing topics, um, you mentioned in your sermon uh, that uh, you know, Satan was here in the garden, and um, you alluded to the fact that we talk about uh, where he came from. So um, kind of wondering if you could elaborate on that, where Satan came from, and you know, even maybe take that as an opportunity to expand bigger. Uh, you emphasize that God is sovereign, but he is not the source of evil. So, um, you know, how can those tensions remain? How can Satan be there and God still be good? How can evil happen and God still be good and sovereign? Well, that's a softball if I've ever heard one. Wow. No, I, you know, it, it is important when we uh, consider this question, first and foremost, to say, we're dealing with something that has been pondered, that has been asked uh, throughout the centuries. It's, uh, as I mentioned in the sermon, it's a mystery for the ages. It's something that um, the Bible does deal with, but it never really helps us to solve the incomprehensibility of it. Um, it gives us truths that we have to cling to and we have to hold to, but at the end of the day, we are finite in our understanding. Uh, we are not God. We don't know everything that he knows, obviously, even though one day we believe that, uh, that, that we'll understand more. Um, we don't at this point. And so what we have to do is uh, believe what the Bible teaches, regardless of the tension that it creates in our minds and in our hearts. And that could go for lots of different biblical topics, but this might be the biggest one. How can God be simultaneously sovereign and loving, or simultaneously in control of absolutely everything, and ordain that everything should happen according to the way that he has planned it to, while at the same time not being culpable or responsible for evil? Uh, a very difficult question, and there have been, you know, tomes written to address this topic. We obviously won't be able to treat it fully here. For now, what I'll say is the Bible is very clear that God is never out of control of absolutely anything. He is completely in control of all that he has created, all that he has made. He is never taken by surprise, uh, and the Bible is very clear about that, and there's a number of different texts that, that speak to the sovereign nature of God, but the Bible is also clear that God is completely and utterly perfect and pure and holy and untainted by evil, and so he cannot be the author of evil. The Bible, Bible is also very uh, clear about that, and I think the, the best place we can go to see the sort of 
you know, combination of those two things at work is the gospel. When you think about the death of Christ on the cross, was it evil uh, for the uh, Roman soldiers and for the Jewish leaders to put Jesus to death? Yes, they committed an act of murder. That was evil. And yet at the same time, as Isaiah 53 tells us, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. And so you see there in the gospel, simultaneously, God being in control of uh, the salvation that he was to bring to all those who would trust in him. And yet at the same time, he brought about that plan through the evil intentions and actions of those who put Christ to death. And it all worked out for our good and his glory. Um, and so we need to rest in the fact that uh, for, the, for the things that we don't understand, how is this going to be for our good? Uh, how is it going to be for his glory? It has been in the past, and it always will be. And so um, the same could be said, obviously, for uh, Satan and where he comes from and how he you know, falls into evil. He's there, obviously, present in the garden prior to the fall of Adam and Eve. And we only have hints as to you know, where he came from and how that might have happened. Um, and like I mentioned in the sermon, there, there are New Testament hints from the book of uh, Jude. There are some Old Testament hints as well in the book of Isaiah. Um, what, we, what we have to cling to again is that God designed and ordained what happened to happen, and yet he's not responsible for the fact that, that Satan fell. We know that he did because he was created good. So, you know, that's the long slash short version, as I mentioned. There have been... Um, you know, millions of pages written throughout history on this topic. Um, but I, I think it's important to cling to those biblical truths regardless of the tension that it creates in us. No, I think that's, I think that's really instructive. So, yeah, when you come to a paradoxical truth, you know, you have, or you have two truths that are difficult for us to reconcile in our mind, how can these two realities be true at the same time? Uh, surely one of them is false, it's it's important and very instructive what you did there, where you go to the scriptures and you say, okay, we can affirm that this is true. We see that this is true in the scriptures of God. We also see that this is true about how the world works, and one does not negate the other. And so, even though we it may be incomprehensible in in terms of like how those two are reconciled, how they work together, we can still affirm the validity and the truth of, of each claim. So I, I appreciate that, man. That's, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. I mean, you think about, um, and I think this is another element to it. You think about how the scripture is clear that, uh, two things happen within Pharaoh, that God hardened his heart. And yet it's also said Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So I think it's important to maintain that while God ordains and designs certain things to happen, even if they are evil, that doesn't let us off the hook for the evil intentions that we have and the evil acts that we commit. Uh, God is not responsible for evil. We are responsible uh, for the evil things that we do, say, think. Uh, I think that the Bible supports that. Yeah, another tension, like this past Saturday, did Mississippi State lose or did Kentucky win? You know, I mean, which was it? It, it, dep it, was it depends on who you're rooting for, right? <laughs> Your perspective, right? <laughs> I'm always compelled to say uh, if the Packers or uh, the Bucks um, 
for those of you that don't know, I moved here from Wisconsin, and I was converted to be a Wisconsin sports fan. Anyway, I'm compelled to say if my team loses that they beat themselves. <laughs> it's always the coaching, never the players. It's never like – it's never – no one ever stops to think, maybe we just have really bad players on this team. Maybe they're just really bad at football. It's probably both for State this past weekend. Yeah. I'm taking this all mm, the way home. Mm. I'm sorry. Well, that's great. I thought I was going to be public enemy number one after this podcast. It's going to be you, brother. Yep. Stepped in, man. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, turns out all you have to do is uh, is call zone. And I uh, can't believe no one ever thought about that in the Pac-12. But anyway. Oh, my goodness. So uh, awesome. Anyway, uh, one specific question I might have, and it's kind of half-baked. I'm never very good at half-baked questions, but we'll give it a shot. Um, you've been talking about how God is, is sovereign in the evil um, so lots of theologians have kind of, uh, you know, cut down the middle, um, and describe God's governance of the world and his like passive letting things happen and his active ordaining. And you, you use words like ordaining and that sort of thing. Uh, is that what you mean per se is in God wills it, he ordains it, he pushes it to be, you know, if, if I can use the very specific theological word, pushes it to be. Um, but anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so precise of you. Yeah, right. So is that, uh, <laughs> is that um, what you're saying, or is, is there room for God to be permissive in this? And so he's governing the world by his permission to let things happen. I think it's a both and. You know, I, I, I think there is, you know, certainly a case to be made for God allowing history to sort of take its course. And you think about um, God giving sinners over to a depraved mind or, um, you know, uh, God sort of saying, if this is the way that you want to go, then I will allow you to go that way. And that's a, uh, a, a sort of, if you want to use the word permissive, a prim- permissive way in which his judgment occurs um, you know, sort of leaving, leaving people to their own devices uh, when they choose to rebel against him. Uh, and and I, I think that his sovereign will can come ab- about by nature of how he allows those evil things to happen. But even in allowing them, that's contained within the idea that he is the one who is sovereign to allow them. You know, so... That's why I say it's a both and. Yes, uh, God allows things to happen, bad things to happen, catastrophic things to happen, evil things to happen, but that's never at the expense of God not being in control. Uh, You know, I think maybe the best place to go here is the idea of uh, Satan having to get permission from God to to tempt and to torment Job. Uh, And yet, what does Job say? The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. Well, it was Satan who did those things, but it was under God's sovereign permitting him to do so. And so it has to be a both and when we talk about uh, God's allowance or God's ordaining of something to happen. Right. Yeah. And and I don't think that... uh you know, distinction necessarily solves the problem of evil, but it can, I think, maybe help some people who who think, oh, you know, who, who imagine God, you know, sitting around and thinking, you know, what would be really great 
as if they, you know, sinned and fell from this garden present. So anyway, yeah. Well, a very, a, a very, very imperfect example. Uh, and so, you know, you can't follow this through to be a sort of one-to-one comparison or example would be uh, the way in which as a, you know, a parent might want to instruct their child who wants to go outside when it's cold without a jacket. Um, now, the parent not actually putting their child at risk of getting frostbite or freezing to death can allow their child to go outside without their jacket in order that they would feel the cold and realize they need to run back inside and, and get their coat. Obviously, that's an imperfect example, but the, it, it sort of contains within it the idea of allowing something bad to happen um, to achieve a, a certain goal or, you know, uh, to serve a certain purpose. The, the problem is we often don't know what the purposes of God are. You know, we, we know what he's revealed to us in his word, and so we know that consistently his purposes work for his glory and for our good. It's just hard uh, to, to, you know, lean on that sometimes when it, we can't conceive of how certain situations could be for his glory or for our good, uh, but we have to. We have to lean on that, depend on that, trust in that. Yeah, definitely. Well, appreciate you answering those tough questions. I think, Matthew, you had a question or two for Josh about his pastoral impulses in this uh, sermon. That illustration is really telling, though, because the simple the reason the moment I knew not only did we obviously know Josh was from or coming from Wisconsin when we were interviewing and hiring him, but whenever we were helping you move in and I saw all the coats, I was like, the simple fact this bro owns coats lets me know that we got some discipleship to do. You know, just acclimating back to the South. Well, well, I, that's why I had to give that qualifier that a parent should probably not use that lesson on their child if they're going to risk them getting frostbite or freezing to death, which could happen in Wisconsin. Yes, yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not here. Yeah, man, I want, I want to give you an opportunity to speak to uh, any pastoral impulses, whether it was in sermon prep or even, even on Sunday as you were preaching. You, you obviously chose in a passage that, you know, is prominent in systematic theology books where you could you could have run with the doctrine of sin in general. You could have went with the doctrine of original sin. You could have taken us, you know, from Genesis 3 to Romans 5 if you wanted to. And, and yet you chose to make it very personal. You've already, you know, talked a little bit about, you know, your study and how, you know, the Lord used his word throughout your prep to, to just impact your heart. Um, what led you to, to choose to focus more on the comparison between our experience of temptation and sin and, and that of Adam and Eve in the garden? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the easy answer is that that is what Kevin DeYoung did in his <laughs> sermon on this, and so <laughs> enough said. No, I, you know, as much as I love Kevin DeYoung, you know, um, I think I was inspired to do that um, because even though talking about original sin or depravity in a sermon would certainly not be off-limits and certainly would be appropriate, I think the way that the doctrine of original sin plays out more practically is more pressing in our lives. I was, you know, talking to you guys before we started recording, but I think it, it might be true to say that this doctrine, the doctrine of original sin, is, is more known to us as humans experientially than maybe any other doctrine. Um, you know, don't quote me on that. There could be something else, but 
Uh, it's something that we just know by nature of being humans if we're willing to be honest about it. And so um, I think it's a miss if at the very least in a sermon you don't draw out how uh, this doctrine perpetually plays itself out in our lives on a daily basis. Uh, but the more you also dig into the language of this episode and what happens here, the more you realize, oh my goodness, this is happening to us all the time. Like that song in Frozen 2, some things never change. Satan never changes in the way that he tempts us, in the way that he leads us to go astray. And so it's important to see that these age-old tactics are one that are ones that we can be aware of and we can arm ourselves against. Uh, he consistently does the same things throughout the scriptures, and as we all know, he does the, the same things to us. And so um, that's why I decided to go in that direction. Great. Well, I guess that is about it. Uh, Hail state. Yeah. We, uh, we, I'm sure we pleased all of our Get on that bandwagon, guys. Mississippi State fans. Um, it's, you know, it's unusual uh, in all the churches I've been in. It was always a thing when you hired a pastor. It's like, is he a State fan or is he an Ole Miss fan? And here we've decided to go with none of the above. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We've, well, all right. Well, that'll wrap it up for today. Um, we appreciate you listening. Uh, we hope to hear from you and uh, hope to have you tune in again soon.